I invite you to uh, turn to our scripture passage this morning, and uh, it's Colossians, <laughs> Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 14, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that you would take my feeble words and imbue them with the power of your Spirit to create in us new life, to feed our souls and to build us up to look more and more like Christ. Father, we need you to act. We need you to work in this hour of worship. And we beg that you would, Father. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, most all of you know that we moved into a new house uh, right at the beginning of the year. And when we moved in there, uh, the yard was just this uh, sole patch of newly laid sod and a ton of weeds. And we needed to get to work to get the house up to spec for uh, the HOA and just, you know, to make it look nice. And so about two months ago, uh, we got to work. We removed about 4,000 pounds of sod in order to make room for planting beds. Uh, We built, with actually the help of a a lot of you, 150 feet of fence. We planted 167 flowers, trees, and shrubs. And then we laid down about 10 cubic yards of mulch. And it was a ton of work, actually literally multiple tons of work. And for several weeks, it felt like every spare moment after we would, you know, take the kids to sports and eat dinner, would be out in uh, the yard getting things ready and working. But thankfully, we're pretty much done with it all. And every day now, I go outside to see, hey, how are the plants doing? Where do I see new growth? And when I started to see, we planted a bunch of roses along the alley on our side yard. And I see these tiny little reddish leaves poking out of the rose bushes. And I get excited because, wow, they're growing. They've survived. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I saw multiple buds that just seemed to appear out of nowhere and this beautiful coral color peeking out. And I got even more excited. We're going to have roses blooming this year. And then when I saw these little peaches that were the size of a bead when we got our peach tree, survived being transplanted and are now the size of grapes, I was elated, we're even going to have fruit this year. Or when our variegated irises shot up, and they were the first things to bloom that we planted, and that first bloom opened, and I went over and smelled it, and like I'd been told, it really did smell 
like grape Kool-Aid. One of the fruit, one of the joys of gardening is enjoying those fruits of your labor. And right now, our garden, all the plants are still really tiny, and there's lots of mulch visible. It seems more of a mulch garden than a plant garden. So we're looking forward to that day, though, in a couple of years, when we can sit out on our porch, and instead of seeing a bunch of mulch, we see these plants that have grown to fill in all those spaces and blanket the mulch with yellows and reds and purples and blues and all kinds of beauty. And our passage today paints a similar picture of what God is doing in the world. He is planting people to display his beauty. He's creating a cosmic garden. That has been his plan from the beginning, to to make not just a yard, but a world, a universe that shines forth his beauty. And we are part of that. We are the flowers that God has planted. We are the trees that God has planted to bear fruit for his glory. We're near still the beginning of this series through the book of Colossians, and and we've called it Jesus is Enough, because that's really one of the main themes of the book, that this book reminds us that Jesus holds everything together. He is the key that unlocks the universe, and Jesus is what we need in order to become one of those beautiful flowers in God's garden. And so here's what I want you to remember this morning. God is making us into his garden. God is making us into his garden. And we're going to look at it under three points. First, the garden plan, and then being transplanted, and then third, the fruit. So first, the plan. Our passage starts with, for this reason, in verse 9. And, well, what is that reason? Well, it's stated back up in verse 4. Paul writes, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Paul is joyful because the Colossians have come to know Jesus and they've started on that journey to know Christ. And one of the most joyful parts of ministry is when you get to see people come to know that grace of God and come to know Jesus, right? And and you see their eyes light up. Maybe for the first time is suddenly the gospel clicks in their minds and suddenly they get an idea of, wow, is God really this good? Does he really love a sinner like me this much? And, and so often that common reaction is, this sounds too good to be true. And, and when I'm sitting with people, walking them through this, I find myself falling in love with the gospel all over again because of how wonderful it is. And we've been blessed in this past handful of, of years for every year We see people make those professions of faith, and we have more people on that journey right now in the church, and we should give thanks for that. God is transplanting more and more people into his garden, and let's pray for more of that type of fruit. There are so many people in this community that have never heard that true gospel of grace. God is building a garden in this desert, and we are part of it. And let's pray for God to include our church in more and more of his work. Now, that profession of faith, though, is really the beginning of a lifelong journey to knowing God. Becoming a Christian isn't like reaching the finish line. It's more like finally getting on the right starting line. And the rest of your life is spent growing into that salvation. So the Colossians have come to understand that grace of Christ. But Paul is continually praying for them that even though they know the gospel, what does he want them to do? To be filled 
with the knowledge of God. When we become Christians, it's kind of like we're planted into that good soil of Christ, but we're still tiny plants with lots of room to grow and fill out into who God has made us to be. And just like we wouldn't be satisfied if all the plants we just planted in our yard would stay really tiny, but we planted them in order to grow and to fill out and to produce fruit and flowers. And it's the same for the Christian. God's plan isn't for you to stay tiny, but to grow and fill out into maturity as you understand and know him more and more. And so this is something we should be praying for ourselves and for others. Paul gives us a good model of prayer here. Are you praying for other people and yourself to be filled with the knowledge of God? And one of the beautiful things about it is that that's a prayer you can pray for anybody. You don't even have to know them that well. You don't need to know the details of their life. Wherever they are in life, that is something that will help them. After the Bible, one of the most important documents we have in our church is our church directory. These are the people. These are your traveling companions on this journey to know Christ. They're the people we're on this hike with together. They're the ones that we're sharing each other's burdens with. And one of the great things that I would encourage every one of you to do is have a copy of that directory and pray for the people in it. Go down the list. And even if you don't know the person or if you don't know the details of their life, you can pray for them what Paul prayed for the Colossian church. And remember how we said he'd never met almost anybody in this church. He didn't know the, necessarily the details and the names of the people, but he didn't, that didn't stop him from praying for them to grow into the knowledge of God. And so you too can pray. And that's part of what it means to be a member, to bear one another's burdens. Pray for the people in the church directory that they would have a knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And I wonder how much our church would be transformed if the majority of us were regularly praying for each other like this. And the thing is, if you have that knowledge of God, it will make your life better. It might not change the circumstances you face, but as we're going to look at in a bit, what it will give you is endurance, patience, and joyful thanksgiving. And if you have those things, no matter what you face in your life, you will face it with a much better attitude. So let's be, let's be a praying church. It's one of our landmarks, these things that we always need to be pointed towards, praying for one another. Now notice those two words that modify this knowledge of God's will. It's in the last part of verse 9. That God would fill them with this knowledge through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, those two words, wisdom and understanding, when they're put together like that, I think they're significant. They show up in a few other places in Scripture. Let me point out two. 1 Kings 7.13. King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Huram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and whose father was from Tyre, and a skilled craftsman in bronze. Huram was filled with, the wis- with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge to do all kinds of bronze work. It's the same words used there. Exodus 31, verse 1, another place. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, 
with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge for all kinds of skills. Now, if you remember back to our Exodus study, do you remember the context of that passage? What was their job? It was to build the tabernacle. If you go to 1 Kings, you see that passage is talking about the building of the temple. So this is really interesting. Paul is using this language that has specifically been tied to the building of God's house in the Old Testament to now be what he is praying for the Colossian church, that they would be given the skill needed for building God's house. And then if we bring in another letter from Paul, Ephesians 2.19, see how it all comes together. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a beautiful picture that Paul is praying here for the Colossian church. And he's saying, I want to, I pray that God would give you the wisdom and the skill, the gardening know-how, because you are building your lives into God's home, his forever home. God's home is you. And I pray that God will give you the tools needed so that your life will look and be appropriate for God's home. What a glorious plan that God has for his people. He invites them into the work of building his dream home. And he says, that home is you. I want to dwell with you. And that is the plan that God has had from the beginning. Remember last week when when Paul used that language of the gospel bearing fruit among the Colossians and around the world, Paul saw that as a fulfillment of God's plan from the beginning with Adam and Eve. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And while Paul isn't stating these things explicitly, this idea is is floating right below the surface in everything he's writing here. It's the foundation of what God is doing in the world. God is making a worldwide garden of beauty that is bearing fruit through the work of the gospel, and we're part of it, and our lives are it. Now, the thing is, we don't feel that way, do you? You don't feel like you're a beautiful garden. Instead, you feel probably more like, our lawn when we first moved into our house, where you're full of weeds and dry and parched and not sure if you're going to make it. We fail so often. Our faith feels weak. We know our struggles. We know how easily we fall. And this brings us then to our second point, being transplanted. God has this incredible vision for who he wants us to be. And yet in the day-to-day life, don't you feel so far from it? But isn't this what's so beautiful about God's plan? If we jump to the last Two verses in our passage, starting in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Every year, uh, a bunch of people get stuck you know, up in the Wasatch mountain range here, and they need to get rescued. And maybe they're just naive. Maybe they don't realize that springtime in the Rockies means that it could be anything from hot sun to snow showers in the same day, and they're unprepared when they go for their hike. Or they don't realize how quickly the 
the, the weather can change at high elevations or how fast the temperature drops as soon as the sun dips behind the peaks. And they get stuck, they get lost. They didn't realize their cell phone wouldn't work up there and don't know how to get back to their car. But thankfully, there's a number of search and rescue teams, mostly made up of unpaid volunteers, who are ready when they get that call, hey, so-and-so hasn't showed up yet, and you know, they said they were going hiking, and we don't know where they are. And no matter the time, usually it's at night, because that's when you realize the person didn't get back. And they get that call, and they go out to try to find this person. And what does that person, what did that person do to deserve being rescued? They got lost. That's it. I mean, fortunately, the search and rescue team, you know, they don't have a panel. Before, you know, they get, oh, John Doe was lost today, and they all get in a conference room, and, you know, they put a picture of his face up on the wall and look at his social media, right, and say, should we rescue him or not, right? Does he look like a friendly guy, right? Does he agree with me politically or not? Does he uh, seem to be a nice person? And then they all give, you know, an up or down vote for whether they're going to rescue him, right? They don't even check to see if he paid his taxes or not. No, the only thing he did to deserve being rescued was he got lost and they're going to go find him. And that is the picture that Paul gives us in verse 13 of what God does. He rescues people who are lost. He rescues people who are prisoners to their own sin and their addictions and their failures. And he doesn't do that because they're deserving. He does it because they're lost and they cannot save themselves. That's the unbelievable grace of God. And do you see how much God loves sinners? People that are kind of hobbling back to the, the, their car because they're tired, they don't get rescued. God rescues the helpless. Right? And when you're cold and shivering and all alone, and it's getting dark fast, and you don't know if you're going to make it through the night, that's when you see a light in the distance and you hear a voice and God is coming to rescue you. So are you lost? Are you trapped by your own failures? Do you recognize you need to be rescued? Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it beautifully. He says, you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to the God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before others will do no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and to your brothers as if you were without sin. God wants you as a sinner. And notice, God doesn't then just get you out of that bad situation, but he brings you all the way into his good home, his kingdom of light, the passage says. And he, he doesn't just give you some band-aids, tape up your ankles, and then drop you off at the trailhead and say, I think you can make it home from here. No, God takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And then if you look at the second half of verse 12, it says, the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. God doesn't just bring you into safety. He doesn't just take you home. He brings you in to his home. He makes you part of 
his family. He writes your name into his will. He promises to make you part of his eternal inheritance. He makes you, who were once lost and without hope, he makes you royalty. And brothers and sisters, this is who you are when you're a Christian. Never forget who you are in Christ. This is why becoming a Christian is a whole life reorientation. When you travel to a new country, you feel totally disoriented for a little while. Right? The languages, the customs, the food, the sights and sounds and smells, they're all different. For those of you who grew up in a different country and then moved here, you know better than I do how life-changing it is to try to make a home in a new country. And it's the same with becoming a Christian. That Christians are people that have immigrated. Or, or more accurately, you were a refugee in the kingdom of darkness, but God has brought you and given you asylum and citizenship in his kingdom. And that means that everything in your life is going to change because you've got a new home, a new kingdom, a kingdom not of sickness and death and darkness, but a kingdom of life. And, and that's why becoming a Christian, it must always change your entire life. And even if you were a great person before you became a Christian, why? Because being a Christian is not about just doing all these good moral things. It's a rewiring of your heart and who you're living for and what, what your king, who your king is. And churches need to be outposts or embassies of God's kingdom of light. We need, as Jordan Valley Church, we need to be an oasis in the desert where people who are worn out from wandering in the desert and tired of getting beaten up and are lost and ground into the dirt can come here and they can taste a little bit of the waters of life and realize there is hope. And God is using us to build a beautiful garden, a place of rest in this parched land. And there are so many people dying of thirst. And this takes us then to the third point, the fruit. So because of this new citizenship that they have in heaven, that they've been transplanted into the kingdom of light, Paul tells the Colossians to start living like they're citizens of that kingdom of light. Maybe another image is Paul doesn't say, guys, you aren't in that little container anymore where you, you know, the plant, when you get it from the nursery, you've been transplanted into good soil. You can spread your branches. You can have your roots go down deep into the soil. And that's what he means in verse 10, where he longs for them to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. And what does that life look like? Well, Paul then right after that gives us three things, bearing fruit in every good work, growing into knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power. And how do you get those things? Well, it goes back to the beginning of our passage. Paul is praying for those things for them. Right? Are you praying that you would bear more fruit in your life, that you would grow in God's knowledge, that you would be strengthened with all power? The only way to do it is through the power of God, and we access that through prayer. That is a prayer God loves to answer. You would grow in his knowledge. And, and what then do these things bring? The second half of verse 11 tells us. So that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks 
to the Father. These are the fruit that we see. These are the blooms of life that when you are transplanted into that good soil of Christ, this is the fruit that comes out from your branches. And think about these things. These things are attitudes that will affect all of your life. They're ways that you approach life and face different circumstances. They're things that can be applied to all of your life. So with the things that you're struggling with today, are you facing those things with endurance or with weakness? Are you looking at your present circumstances with patience or agitation? Are you looking at this last year with thanksgiving or grumbling? Too often our attitudes are are tied, are anchored to our immediate situation. I mean, it's easy to be thankful when things are going your way, right? It's easy to be thankful when you got that new job or or won that competition or, or whatever it is. There's nothing special about Thanksgiving there. But what about being thankful when things don't go your way? And that is what Paul is getting at here. That's the fruit of the Christian. Paul roots the Christian's Thanksgiving in eternal realities, not shifting circumstances. Let's look at these three words that he describes here, endurance. Galatians 6.9 unpacks that. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. How often do we become weary in doing good? Maybe you think, oh, I did this good thing, now something good's going to happen to me, right? Or someone's going to recognize it or give me a high five, and so often you do that thing, you sacrifice, and then it didn't work, and maybe it made your life harder, and so you give up. Christians endure, not because of that immediate reward or lack of it, but because we know God sees that, and in his time, you will see a harvest for the ways that you've endured in this life for him. Patience. Do you realize how patient God has been with you? Romans 2.4. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you know how patient God has been with you? Even though you screw up day after day and keep making the same mistakes and have the same old excuses that he knows aren't really valid, and yet he's patient because he longs for you to repent, to turn your life to him. And one of the greatest insults that we can make to God's grace is then when we refuse to show patience to other people. Because if you really knew how deep God's grace and patience was for you, you would find yourself being patient with others because you realize God has been so much more patient for me. The heart of a hypocrite is is someone who's quick to say, oh yeah, isn't God so gracious? I'm so glad how gracious and patient God is with me. And then you turn around and you're short-tempered with those closest to you. But thankfully, God is even patient in our hypocrisy. And then giving joyful thanks to the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What's that knowledge of God that Paul is praying for? Well, this is part of it. What is God's will for you? That you'd never stop praying. Always be thankful, or always be joyful, and be thankful in all circumstances. And how can you do that? Well, it ties into what we looked at in that second point, verse 13. For he has rescued us 
from the dominion of darkness. And that is true no matter what tomorrow brings. You're still rescued. God still holds you fast. Do you prize God's rescue? Do you realize that that has really reoriented the rest of your life? So everything else that happens, as much as it might hurt, pales in comparison to what God has given you when he rescued you out of darkness and brought you into his kingdom of light. With all those plants that we put in in our yard, I ran a lot of drip lines to all of them so that those plants could have a steady supply of water in this desert we live in. And when we hit those 100-degree days in July, I'll know very quickly which drip lines are working and if any aren't, because soon those plants that don't have water will just you know, fall over limp. Two plants can be sitting just a few feet from each other, and one will be thriving and just showcasing all of its beauty, and the other one is just limping over, looking like it's about to die. And what's the difference? On one hand, it's not their circumstances. They're both baking under that 100-degree sun. The difference is, underneath where we can't see, one has a line of water going to it, and the other doesn't. And that water allows that plant to, even in the heat of summer, show more and more beauty. And that's part of what it means to be a Christian planted, transplanted into God's garden. That he feeds you the living water of Christ that will allow you to display blooms in even the hottest of seasons. And God is building his people into the grandest of gardens to display his glory and his beauty throughout the world. And so let's be those people. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to realize that you have rescued us and you are now feeding us with the reality, the living water of Christ. And Father, I know for me and probably for so many of us, we're so focused on all of these other things that we ignore that Jesus is oh so close and offering himself to us. And he is what we need in whatever circumstances we face. So Lord, help us to stop looking for all these other things and to realize that Jesus really is enough and help our lives to be evidence that it is his power that is working in us, not our own strength. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.